All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour for making the show economically viable. They are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have back with me once again Andy Hoffman. He's a market analyst who works with Miles Franklin. For those of you who may not be familiar with Andy, uh, he is a certified financial analyst, and he joined Miles Franklin as a marketing director in October 2011. For over a decade, he was a, a U.S.-based buy and sell side analyst. Most notably, uh, in the he was a very highly ranked oil service analyst at Solomon Smith Barney from 1999 to 2005. Since 2002, his focus has been entirely on precious metals, and since 2006, uh, he, he has written uh, free missives regarding gold, silver, and macroeconomics. Prior to joining the company, he spent five years working as an investor's relations officer uh, and consultant to numerous junior mining companies. And you can go and see a lot of the things that Andy has written, the, the insightful uh, essays that he writes, I believe, uh, almost every day at a place uh, where you go to milesfranklin.com and just uh, click on the blog. There's a blo- pull-down blog menu, and, and Miles uh, and Andy, as well as a couple of other folks, write some very interesting and, I think, insightful things there. So, Andy, we're really good to, it's really good to have you back again. Thanks for joining me. A pleasure. I'm glad to be a regular guest. I remember when I started out in Precious Metals way back when, you were one of the first people I started reading. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I'm one of the old timers, I guess you could say. You know, we, we're glad to have you back also, uh, Andy. It's always a pleasure talking with you because you, you're very passionate about what you're doing. You're very, you, you have a lot of knowledge about these markets. Uh, but our listeners have also come back and said they, they really like you. So it's, uh, it's, it's by popular demand that you're with us as well as my own uh, enjoyment in talking to you. I'd like to focus today on how the major bullion banks are involved in manipulating the gold price. I think, uh, I believe, almost always in the downward direction, and also try to help our listeners understand what motivation uh, is driving the big boys, the people that are doing it. But before we get to gold and silver, I would like to discuss, the, for the benefit of those that may not be that familiar with how the futures markets and the option markets work, if you could just sort of help us understand that. You know, quite naturally, there is a physical market for gold and silver and oil and copper and everything else, and people... They, people who have a need for those materials go to those that provide them, and they, they make a market. That's very normal. But then sometimes, you know, oil companies, for example, will know how much oil they're going to produce over the next six months or a year 
year or so, and they would like to make sure they get the price they need to make that that uh, their business profitable. So they go out and find a buyer of that of that commodity that that needs the oil, let's say a, a refiner to make gasoline, and they uh, and they make an agreement. Uh, certainly, nothing wrong with that. Those guys say six months from now we'll buy, uh, you know, we'll we'll um, sell oil at ninety dollars a barrel. Uh, the buyer is happy, the seller is happy, and then there's uh, people that enter into the market though that are not actually involved in buying and in, in producing and consuming those commodities. Those are the um, what you I guess those were the speculators, guys that say, well, I think that oil is going to go up, so I'm going to go in and make a contract with somebody who thinks otherwise. And so you have a buyer and seller, but they're not actually involved in uh, in the market, that is, in, in the physical supply of these things. So the speculators go in on both sides of the market, and they provide, I've always believed anyway, Andy, correct me if you differ with me, but I've always believed they provided a valuable service in terms of providing liquidity to the market. And so you have you have that going on there. You have the buyers and the sellers, and you have the speculators uh, in the markets. Um, and and that's, um, that's the way markets for gold and silver and that's why yeah, I thought all these markets work, the futures markets, the options markets, and so forth. Uh, do I have that right so far? Well, absolutely. The, the difference, of course, is uh, that gold and silver are monetary commodities, while others like oil and, and, uh, and food are, are actual common commodities used for, for daily uh, usages. So, sure. But you don't have people that are buying oil, physical oil, for speculation. They just go into paper markets to do that, whereas, uh, you know, gold are a lot different because people buy them for monetary purposes. Also, a market like oil is vastly larger uh, than the gold market. And while, yes, people are always trying to manipulate everything, it's far more difficult to do so. Um, it's, a lot, it's a lot more transparent, the usage of oil and, and the needs for oil, uh, than the gold market. Now... All of these markets have physical markets and, of course, these paper markets, which were initially created for the sole purpose of hedging uh, for actual people mm-hmm. who use them. Right. Uh, but in gold, the only real usage is money. Uh, so it becomes more like a financial market. And, and uh, when you're talking about uh, how it trades, even though the large majority of purchasing comes in the Eastern Hemisphere, I, I would estimate close to three-quarters of all the buying in the world of gold is in the Eastern Hemisphere. The pricing, ridiculously, is set in a couple hours period in the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. because we have more developed exchanges. The problem with these exchanges are they are heavily levered. I mean, it's been admitted even by the uh, detractors, by our detractors. Uh, that it's uh, levered by at least 100 to 1. Yeah. So it gets to the point where you have two markets that have nothing to do with each other. The footprints of what they are doing each day are so blatant that even a fifth grader could see it. I've been writing every single day for 10 years about the 2.15 a.m. Uh, opening of the London paper market, the Comex opening, the 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, London p.m. fix, uh, which is when the physical market cl- uh, stops trading for the day, and all of a sudden gold always goes down. So, I mean, the manipulators are there. These are This is basically led by the U.S. government trying to make the dollar look better. Uh, but the fact is, the harder that they attack, the uh, the weaker the mining industry gets and the less production comes out, and that's a natural, you know, corrector. And, of course, the more physical consumption that you get this year, it really is incredible to see just China alone has doubled its imports from a year ago. Last year was its record level, and they are going to be doubling them this year. 
So the fact is the, the prices have been low and there's been huge offtake. And as a result, you're seeing plummeting physical inventories, whether it's from the GLD ETF or the COMEX, which actually it's, we're talking today, just about yesterday, 7% of the entire registered inventory fell. We're at an all-time low down mm. to, you know, less than a billion dollars worth. So it's a precarious uh, balance between physical and paper. Only in gold and silver do you see it this, uh, this lopsided because the, it, they're manipulated. And, you know, eventually it'll, it'll break apart like, like all attempts to, to, uh, to stop reality have done. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, so if if gold and silver markets are leveraged a hundred to one, that is a hundred dollars of paper uh, contracts for every dollar of, of physical offtake. How does that compare then? Let's say, like with the oil industry, with the well, oil I industry. Yeah, yeah it, I can't say that I I know exactly what it is for the oil industry. Uh-huh. I'm guessing it's somewhat less. But again, the the thing with oil is it's so vastly bigger. It's the mm-hmm. largest. Uh, commodity on earth it's by far the most widely used mm-hmm. that it just it would just take too much money uh too much even printed money for the powers that be to push the price around materially yeah. uh so and again i'm not an expert on how the oil market trades when i did when i was an energy analyst i just worked on oil field service stocks mm-hmm. yeah but um again there's not the motivation to to yes of course the, they the uh they would like the price down but then again, OPEC would like the price up, so they, right. they're fighting a cartel that wants prices higher. And you know, there's just no way that you can materially change the price of oil much over any period of time. So there's nothing really wrong, nothing morally wrong about the markets themselves. That is, the uh, the, the speculators on both sides of the markets uh, provide a useful function, and of course, the markets have to be there for the physical needs of, of buyers and sellers. And so that's all very, very fine and, and and dandy. The problem is, I believe, Andy, and what you're concerned about, and I'm certainly concerned about as well, is this notion that somehow the wool is being pulled over the eyes of the masses, and markets are being manipulated by a few big players. Uh, let's Let's talk a little bit about what you see going on in the uh, in the gold and silver markets. This is a gold antitrust action committee. Folks have been talking about this for some time. Um, do you, so you talked to your, your article, a really excellent article that you wrote this past week, and I should tell our listeners, and I think I didn't didn't really, well, I did say to go to milesfranklin.com and read Andy's, uh, Andy's missives there, but uh, an article you wrote this past, I guess it was Friday, actually, or Thursday, uh, The Big Bad Precious Metals Conversion. Um, <clears throat> what we saw there was, um, I, I talked to us a little bit about what, you saw happening on Thursday. Maybe first of all, you make a very a, a very important uh, distinction between two important days near the end of the contracts for these on the COMEX. You've got the options expiration day, and then you have the first delivery day. Talk to us about the significance of those two dates. Right, and, and generally speaking, the you know as you said, there's nothing wrong with with the markets. I mean, uh, generally speaking, I think. Shorting is is an evil concept. It was really just created initially by banks to you know create some additional commissions, but it's since then become so abused by naked shorting that it's destroyed markets. Uh, between you know the PPT et cetera, buying unlimited amounts of stocks to influence on the upside, and then uh, you know that the powers that be na- naked shorting whatever it might be, whether it's uh, gold or mining stocks or or anything that they don't like. I'll just stop um, for a minute there, Andy, yeah. if you would. Just explain naked shorting is a shorting in which, I mean, normally, in my way of thinking, shorting a stock is not necessarily 
wrong or evil. If you believe the stock is going to go down, you can go out and borrow right. that stock and have to return it to the owner, right? Right, uh, of course. And, 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 that and, is, uh, if, if people, you know, if you were actually borrowing it, but because when people are naked shorting, they're not borrowing it anymore. Okay, thank they you. They are being that's, given that's, a free pass to, do, to, to put in a sell order when they right. don't actually own it. Right, thank you. That's, that's the distinction I hoped you would make, because the naked shorting means that people are not actually taking on a liability. They're not actually taking on the risk that you would take. If, and so, if the, I mean, how can people do that, though? How can people get away with naked shorting? It's supposed to well, be against we, the law. We can't, we can't get away with it. It is against the law, but the you know the powers that be, let's call them the cartel. When you're talking about gold, do whatever they want. I mean, the CFTC, as we know, just spent five years supposedly uh, investigating the silver markets. Five years for something that I, I can prove in five minutes, and came up with nothing. Heck, Bart Chilton, one of the uh, five commissioners of the CFTC, himself said. Silver is manipulated. It's nefariously traded. Even when one of them said that it is, they still did nothing. The fact is, these are government agencies, and they're not going to stop their own programs. I mean, the government manipulates the bond market with QE. They have something called the Working Group on Capital Markets, whose job is to manipulate the stock market, and they have a group called the Exchange Stabilization Fund, whose job is to manipulate currencies and gold. I mean, look at, the, look at Wikipedia. It's real. Uh, so, but and when it comes to naked shorting, that just simply means they want the price down. They just put in sell orders, but they don't own the stuff, and that's why you're seeing the physical inventories plummet, because you know people are taking, you know, are buying at these extremely low, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. artificial prices, and pretty soon there won't be any supply left with the Chinese buying so much. Yeah, you you uh, suggested, I think you said two-thirds or three-fourths of the of the physical market is probably going to the east, and I was reading recently that the Chinese are buying almost as much gold as is being produced now uh, annually, and of course the Chinese also are the largest producers of gold right now. Yeah, so. I, I'd, say, I'd say three-fourths goes just to China and India, let alone the, the rest of the east. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which are huge buyers in the Middle East uh, yeah. and a lot of other places in the world, aside from uh, the United States, where for generations we've been taught that the dollar is king. Uh, but that's you know back to your question about uh, about the Comex. Yes, every month they have options expirations. Um, people can buy options uh, to purchase physical gold at certain prices, and uh, you know that this week it happened to be on Tuesday, the twenty ninth. Uh, and then on Thursday the 31st is first delivery day, meaning people who hold those long contracts have to have until that day to say, to take delivery, to give notice, I want delivery of the gold. Mm-hmm. So typically what you see is uh, almost every month, not every month, but pretty much every month, you'll see the price mysteriously fall to just below round numbers uh, right before that option to expiration day. You saw it with gold, it felt they knocked it to just below uh, 1350, just in time, so those calls would expire worthless. But that's the that's the less important day than the first delivery day, two days later, because that's the day where people actually are asking for gold. The uh, options expiration is just a matter of money. You say, okay, yeah. well, I'm a little in the money. Here's some cash. Yeah. But the next two days later is when people. It doesn't even matter if the contract's in the money. They just have made, contracted to buy. So what they do is they try to hit it even harder before that day because they really want to discourage people who are thinking about doing it. And, uh, you know, sure enough, Wednesday was the FOMC made their decision to continue printing money, continue a QE4 with no timetable forever ending it. 
So, of course, what they do? They smash the price. It should have been both. extremely bullish for gold and silver. Yeah, of course. And, and Thursday, they hit, they hit silver 80 cents. It's just comical to push it below another round number. And, you know, this is just a game that goes on. Meanwhile, on Friday, as I said, I just looked up, and 7% of the entire gold registered inventory was taken away on, on, wow. on Friday afternoon. So we're wow. down to a, a record low level of just 650,000 ounces. Andy, when you say they... Give yeah. us give us some names. Give us institutions. I think you're talking about a couple, a handful of, if that, of big bullion banks, right? And they are very, very close to the to the establishment, the powers that be, the Federal Reserve, and, and our government, right? Yeah, I was never a fan of the term bullion banks. I'm not sure. I still, to this day, after 11 years, I'm not sure what exactly that means. Uh-huh. J.P. Morgan, yes, J.P. Morgan has a vault, uh, but so do a lot of other banks have a vault. I mean, mm-hmm. when I think of of who is doing this, it's the U.S. government. There is no one on earth that that has more of an incentive uh, than them to do it, and no one has the firepower to put in all these sell orders. But do they JP, do it through their? Do they do it yes, through their proxies? Yes. Though J.P. Morgan yes. would be a proxy of the U.S. government. J.P. Morgan is their number one proxy. J.P. Morgan has become the biggest, baddest bank in the world. And you know, I mean, look at who look at who runs J.P. Morgan, and look at all the people in government from J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs. I mean, they work as partners. They're big lot. They're the biggest lobbyists of the government. They are the they are their proxies in the market because mm-hmm. uh, you know the government. You're not going to see the Federal Reserve account show up at the at the comics. So they do it through J.P. Morgan. I mean, J.P. Morgan has a far bigger short position now than the Hunt brothers had a long position back in 1980 when they wow. supposedly were cornering the market. Wow. But you know, as I said, the CFTC doesn't care about that because it's a government entity. It's a government entity. So what, what motivates, I, I think I understand it, but for the sake of our listeners, what motivates the government to keep people disinterested in, uh, in gold as, as money, I, I guess? It's so that we can con people into accepting these pieces of paper that are worthless and the government then can redistribute wealth. The government and the, and the big banks, the Wall Street concerns, can keep picking the pockets of average Americans, of people that are actually producing something. Is this what, I mean, is it the uh, empire? What's behind it, Andy? Why, yes, why? Uh, it's exactly. It's an emperor with no clothes. Their clothes, supposedly, is the power of the printing press. The fact that the U.S. government still, it's really amazing with all the debt it's built up and all the bad will around the world, is still able to print out... Uh, like the Fed said, $85 billion a month. And, of course, that's just what they publish. You know that yeah. they do a lot more. We've learned about the $16 trillion of loans and all these other things that they do, the, the ECB swap agreements, which are essentially money printing, but they don't count as, as, uh, as money uh, because of just accounting chicanery. But the fact is, the fact that they're still able to print money when they have no deficit, no budget, when they have trillion-dollar deficits, when they have seventeen trillion of debt and five trillion off balance sheet and two hundred trillion of of, of of liabilities, and no one is buying treasuries anymore, even the Chinese are now selling treasuries. They need the dollar to be strong so that they can keep printing it and buying things, and that is their Achilles' heel. Um, is is if you lose confidence in it now. It's slowly lost purchasing power over time. It's lost 98% of its value since the Fed came to be 100 years ago. And, uh, and you know, eventually it will lose 100%, as every fiat currency has throughout history. But now that we're at the really close to the end game where 
where the, you're starting to see um, you're starting to see all these uh, currency agreements with the Chinese mm-hmm. that are going outside of the dollar. Even the Saudis are mad at us right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You're seeing all of the traditional buyers of, tre- of treasuries now selling them. Uh, it's at the point, and of course, look at the fiscal and uh, and, and economic situation here in the states. It's just so bad that they that they are they are that much more fearful that this run on the dollar will start. And that's why you're seeing an even uh, even more crazy more crazy attempts to keep the price of gold down. I mean, I, my motto since 2005 or so has been every day worse than the last. But I could never imagine what I've what we've seen starting around March or April this year. Uh, you know, when you think about what has happened, remember in 2011, gold hit $1,900 because we had 14 trillion of debt and trillion dollar deficits and no budget. And here we are with 17 trillion of debt. And no budget and trillion dollar deficits, and the world hates us. Uh, it's really amazing to believe, you know, how they've been able to keep it going this far. But again, those inventories, the physical inventories like the GLD, like the Comex, the LBMA, are plummeting, and everyone can see where the gold is going right now. And premiums in the East are higher than they've ever been. So you're starting to see, you know, a real breakage of the the paper and, and physical, and it's you know it will break in time and. For all we know, it'll be a lot quicker than people think. Well, what will make it break, Andy? Uh, what, what, what? I mean, we're getting okay. So the, they don't have any physical gold to deliver. Uh, won't the government just tell the people that want to take delivery too bad? You're going to have to take paper. Well, that's the thing. That is a default. I mean, if they admit, uh, if they admit that they don't have the gold, then that's a problem. And, that, and this is again, we talk about the Achilles heel. The comics is only one area. I mean, sure. there's, there's other exchanges, too. That are, I mean, the Shanghai exchange, I, I think it lost 80% of its silver inventory this year. Mm. And that's not due to any manipulation. That's just people buying and taking delivery, period. Wow. wow. Uh, so there's, now, not enough, there's not enough new silver being produced to make that up, I guess, to, uh, to, to provide that inventory. No. And the same goes, I mean... It's not just the COMEX, but really, the COMEX is kind of the center point because that's where you see the pricing uh, of the day. I'd say 90% of the price movements of the day are in the first two hours of the COMEX. Uh, and yet the COMEX has literally just a billion dollars worth of registered inventories, meaning deliverable upon demand if you have a long contract. And the same with silver. It has just a billion left. Both of these are record low levels. So uh, you know the, the gold inventory is down eighty percent since the attack started in April. There's almost nothing left. So what we're talking about here, though, Andy, isn't uh, it's it's a gigantic con game. It's it's confidence game that is being run. I mean, I hear so many people, my friends that work on Wall Street, my good friend uh, who who works with a French bank still uh, was saying. I was chatting with him the other day. And he says, "Jay, they have to taper. They don't have. A, they they've got a taper." And I'm saying to my friend, who's also whose name is also Jay, but Jay, they they can't taper. But, you know, there's this mindset on Wall Street that they will, eventually, they will get it under control. They will taper. They will pull back the creation of money and uh, of, of this, uh, you know, bond debt buying uh, QE stuff. Uh, but I think your, your view is the same as mine, that they cannot do it. What happens? So, okay, so we have this con game, this whole con game making people believe that Uncle Ber- Ben Bernanke has things under control or Janet Yellen will have things under control. The, the, you know, they're getting us to try to trust them, right? They're trying to, everything they do is, is geared towards trying to trust, uh, having us trust their, their ability to fix things up. Now, what happens 
when there's no delivery of, of gold? Will that shatter the confidence? Will the markets finally well, yeah. get it? That's the whole point. Well, it's just funny, this, uh, you know, this word taper, which I'm just getting so nauseated oh, hearing about. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, they, first of all, they, when, you, when you hear the word taper, people speak as if they mean that's the end of QE. They're talking about, well, maybe we'll, instead of printing $85 billion a month, we'll print $75 billion a month. That's what they can. This yeah, is what we're supposed right. to be all all fearful of. Right. Uh, but, but as for um, you know being able to stop it, as I said, there are no buyers left of Treasuries. People don't realize the Fed now owns thirty five percent of all the Treasuries and fifty percent of all the mortgage backed securities, mm-hmm. and pretty soon they're going to own all of them. So they can't ever stop the chi- the only other significant owners of, of Treasuries are the Japanese and the Chinese, who each own probably 15%. And both of them, well, the Japanese have gone flat. The Chinese are actually sellers now. So anytime there's even a hint that they may taper, may slow down, interest rates go up because there's no buyers left. Nobody is buying them. And why would you? When we can't even make a budget in five years, where we have trillion-dollar deficits, where we shut the government down because these guys are arguing each day, where we threatened to bomb Syria and blow up the world for no reason, where, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where we're spying on the whole world. Uh, you, you name it, we're yeah. doing it. And uh, so, no, there's not a chance in hell that they will ever be able to taper, as uh, Sinclair put it, QE to infinity. And I was one of the people who said they could never do it. And here we are. You know, keep think about it. We were told back in February, oh, gold's down because they're going to taper. Well, they haven't tapered. In fact, last February was the same thing. Remember the leap day violation where they hit gold $100 on the leap day in February, mm-hmm. the day that Bernanke was speaking because the media was saying they were going to taper? That was last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was almost yeah. two years ago. So that's and the three, con game. Two years but, ago was the green shoots. Remember those? Oh, green shoots. But the but sooner or later, people are going to catch on that the emperor does not have any clothes. Exactly. And and, uh, and then the game is over. But but still, Andy, I just keep thinking about. But they have an endless amount of money. They can they can create digits out of nothing, constantly, and so interest rates. I mean, what what would cause them to go up? If it's so, so what if nobody's buying treasuries? The Fed can buy them all, right, and keep the interest rates low. Well, think about it. What if the Fed did buy them all? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then, then they can't buy any more, right? So they literally can only go down. That's the whole point. At some point, they're going to own the whole market. And if 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 there's no one left to buy, there's no bonds even left to buy. All they could do is go down <laughs> the interest rates. But, of course, we would never get to that because, if, again, it's the same kind of thing. The comics inventories go down to nothing. If the Fed was so hard up that they had to buy every single treasury that's in existence, then it's just even, even the mainstream media couldn't, couldn't, would understand that this is a Ponzi scheme that's reaching the end. I mean, it's, it's not possible for them to buy that much. But at this point, how can they stop uh, going at it? We've had uh, we've had guests on this show, reputable people, people that are well known in the industry that that believe that we could see gold prices uh, of almost uh, infinite levels because 
the with the dollar goes to zero um, and and you know none of us really want to see that i don 't want to see that i 'm sure you don 't want to see that we 'd rather see a stable society because all hell could break loose. We could have problems uh, you, you know in our society in terms of our safety and our well being and our delivery of food and all that sort of thing unfortunately it could happen if things break down right but so I know that none of us want to see that happen but but clearly, if it does come to that, then a lot of these paper instruments that we were relying on. Uh, including even stocks could be at risk. Uh, the gold shares and the silver shares, which I own a lot of. Uh, talk to us a little bit. You mentioned in your article that you are now 100% in physical gold and silver. We only have another minute or two left. But tell our listeners why that's so important. And then I'd like to also just address this issue of, uh, I, I think that Miles Franklin uh, provides an IRA, or, or there at least are IRAs available where you can own gold and, and silver bullion. Yeah, I mean... Look, let, let's face it, there's, there's, I mean, we're talking about just protecting your assets here. As far as I'm concerned, gold and silver are savings. It's the way you used to look at your money in a mm-hmm. bank, except now the bank can go under, plus it pays no interest, plus it can be bailed in, bailed out. To me, this is my, this is my nest egg. If you want to speculate in other things, like paper investments, like paper precious metal investments, that's fine. But your core needs to be in the real stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, at Miles Franklin, we have all kinds of options. You can just buy uh, coins. You can have uh, precious metal IRAs. You can have it stored. But the fact is everyone has to have their, quote, nest egg, which needs to be in physical. And that's your savings, and everything else you do is your investments. Oh, I want to thank you very much. We're out of time again, Andy. It goes so fast with you, that's for sure. Just to tell our listeners, it's milesfranklin.com. Go there, and there's a, a pull-down menu uh, for bloggers, and Andy is a blogger. You, you write something almost every day, don't you, Andy? Five days a week, myself, Bill Holter, and David Checkman. It's all free. There's a lot of really great information there, and learn to know more about milesfranklin.com. You can go to our website at uh, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Miles Franklin banner, and it will take you right there. I want to thank you very much for being with us again, and I uh, look forward to talking to you sometime soon, Andy. My pleasure, Jay. Thanks. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. I'm going to uh, go to commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to be with Danny McAdams. He's uh, Ron Paul. Heads up the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. He'll be here to give us some more information on what the latest is and, well, what the truthful information is about what's going on globally. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Daniel McAdams. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Daniel McAdams, who heads up the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And uh, thanks again for joining me, Daniel. Good to have you. Thank you very much, Jay. It's always good to talk to you. Good to, uh, always good to hear from you. Uh, and I, there's never an end of things to talk to you about. All I need to do is go to the Ron Paul Institute, ronpaulinstitute.org. Is the website, I believe. Yeah, I yeah dot yeah. org. And I just, you know, I mean, I have a bookmark, so I don't pay attention to the, I should really know it by heart, so I don't have to ask every time and waste time. But in any event, uh, so much there to talk about. And one of the things I'd like to bring to my listeners' attention is a wonderful interview that you did with, uh, along jointly with another uh, guest that's on this show, uh, has been a couple of times, Karen Hudis. And you and Karen were um, on Russian television uh, and the title of the show of that segment was Taming NSA. Uh, so, I, you know, I really want to talk to you about neocons who are the face of the military-industrial complex that, you know, we played Eisenhower's warnings and Kennedy's warnings earlier today when we talked to Jacob uh, Hornberger. Uh, and those were very, very important speeches that I think really showed that those two presidents understood that what was going on in our country was not good. The direction of things was was really anti-American in so many ways. And the neocons are the face of, the, of that uh, evil notion that we have to keep Americans afraid and have to keep, keep us fighting with other countries, keep wars going on perpetually. And it was interesting that Jacob Hornberger talked about how President Kennedy was really working hard to find a way to, to get rid of the Cold War and start working together uh, and, of course, the military-industrial complex didn't want any part of that. So we have the NSA today, and we've got um, all of these uh, the spying on people the NSA is doing, and Snowden has left us know about that. And interestingly, you, you and um, Karen were talking about that on this Russian television show that I just mentioned. Uh, and and listeners can go there and watch this entire interview. It's a very interesting interview. Uh, it's uh, about, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour, something like that. It just time flies. Yeah. Uh, Karen, uh, Karen seems to think that, uh, that the U.S. may lose its allies as a result of this NSA spying. And uh, in talking to her on the show, she, she seems to be a bit naive in, in my way, with all due respect to her, and I like her a lot, but it's in believing that somehow good will win out over evil and corrupt, the corrupt deeds of the, the group of very powerful corporations. Uh, all we have to do is blow the whistle on these guys and ultimately the masses of people will rise to the occasion and overthrow these goons. But, um, and, but she seems to be concerned a little bit about America losing its, uh, its allies and how important that is to us. I, I don't think you quite share that view. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think Karen had a lot of interesting things to say on that interview, and that was on Crosstalk, which is on RT, as you said. Mm-hmm. Peter Lavelle, who's a terrific host. But, um, you know, I, I, you're right. I don't, I don't believe it is such a bad thing to lose, quote unquote, our allies. You know, these are the same allies. If you remember a couple of years ago, Jay, it was the French, our allies, 
who were so gung-ho about invading Libya, and they kept pushing the U.S. and pushing the U.S., uh, not not that, that the U.S. Uh, and, the, and the administration is without blame, but certainly they goaded the U.S. into um, into participating. And also, when the U.S. wants to invade, for example, uh, when we invaded Iraq in 2003, the U.S. always uses these so-called allies as a fig leaf to cover up for what they want to do unilaterally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, the Cold War ended, you know, 20-some years ago, uh, yet NATO still exists, and it transformed... Uh, back around the time that the U.S. decided to bomb Serbia, it transformed from a purely defensive organization, a mutual defense pact, into really a mutual offense pact. Mm-hmm. So, where in the name of in the name of uh, an outdated concept, the Cold War, the U.S. now uh, you know carries its out so-called allies along to all sorts of misadventures all over the world. So I think using losing allies in that context would be a very very positive thing, uh, and to maybe relook at our relations with other countries along the lines of of of, of what our founders recommended, which is to uh, have friendly ties and trade, uh, no, no no entangling alliances. You know, it's an it's an overused phrase, but it's it's always it's it's always sounds fresh and relevant, and that's uh, so I think it would be a positive thing to lose those kinds of allies. The only place I know that it's an overused phrase is uh, places like the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, <laughs> because I don't think most people ever even know that uh, Washington talked about uh, not making alliances with, uh, you know, with with uh, European countries and so forth. But uh, yeah. you know, I had another another uh, listener, and I read this earlier in the day the day's show, who said, "Jay, you're crazy for worrying about drones." And his name, uh, Fred. His his name is Fred. He says. Uh, to me, he sends an email. He says, are you sick? I have lived in America for 73 years and have never seen a drone. Why are you obsessed with them? Have you something to hide? Wake up. Enjoy the progress. Do not be afraid of it. Help your country. Do not tear it down. You and people like you are making me sick, but not in the head like you, but in the stomach. Again, wake up. So, uh, you know, Daniel, it seems to me totalitarian countries, they try to trick people in a, that disagree with the establishment uh, into thinking that they're crazy, that they're mentally ill. I mean, this guy's yeah. saying, Taylor, you know, you're a little bit sick in the head. You, you see a psychiatrist, you're worrying about drones. I've never seen one. What do you got to worry about? What do you say? That, what, what, what would you say to him if he said that to you face-to-face, Daniel? Yeah, but, you know, the, the idea is that pushing so-called democracy by force, you know, democracy, is su- democracy is such a universal good that <laughs> anyone opposing pushing it by force would be opposing giving someone something good, uh, so that would that would naturally be considered crazy. And in, in a sort of a strange internal logic, they're right. Uh, the yeah. communists were were pursuing the perfect system that would give everyone just what they wanted. So, if you were acting outside of or in, in, in opposition to your own self interest, you would have to be crazy, like someone who who self harms or something along those lines. But we would have to get back and challenge the whole paradigm. And as far as, as far as him saying, I haven't seen them yet, so what's the problem? Well, if you remember back when, when, when Congress was debating the Patriot Act, mm-hmm. the FISA courts, and the warrantless wiretapping, um, you know, Ron Paul was, was almost alone in vociferously opposing this, and he was warning how bad things could get. You know, they could turn this in on us and start listening in on us. They tell us that they're only going to listen to the terrorists, but you watch, they'll, they'll, they'll turn and they'll listen to us. And, and remember what they said, oh, he's crazy, he's paranoid. Right. 
Uh, what's his problem? And then, you know, less than 10 years later, we find out almost from day one, that's exactly what they were doing. So, you know, Fred may not have seen them, but they may have seen Fred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Fred, if you're listening out there, what are you up to, buddy? You better be careful. You better be careful. Those You may not have seen the drones, but they are certainly watching you, and they have... And, and, uh, they they have every phone call, every email you sent, including the one you sent me. Uh, they have that in their grasp. And even if he doesn't have a problem from the policy perspective, uh, considering he's probably an investor listening to your program, he's certainly been forced to pay for these things. So he, you know, even if you don't take it on that side, probably don't like it on the other side either. You know, if Fred's a listener to this show and he's investing in gold, he's a bad guy as far as the NSA is concerned. So we got to keep Fred buying those fraudulent dollars. So let's keep him happy. Let's keep him, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's keep Fred thinking everything is just cool in this country. Everything is just fine. Don't question anything. And like you say, we have a utopia here in America, just like the Soviet Union had. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn was sent to the gulag because he dared question. Well, what a crazy guy he was. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. What about, um, you know, there's some excellent articles. John Whitehead um, writes, uh, you pick up articles that he writes from time to time. Yeah. Welcome, uh, he's written one here, actually just yesterday. Welcome to the, United, uh, to the United Police States of America, where police shoot first and ask questions later. Daniel, I certainly feel uneasy when I go to Times Square from time to time. You know, I, I, and you see these guys in, uh, in Army uh, fatigues uh, carrying machine guns around. You know, and, uh, I when I first saw that after nine eleven a few years back, I said, "This is really, this is really spooky." I mean, the last time I saw something like this is when I traveled to Spain, and um, the fascist dictator Franco was just leaving power at that time in the late seventies, and and I saw them on the on the street corners uh, as our as our tour bus went around the corner. Everywhere you'd see these guys carrying machine guns, and I saw it down in my brother's country in Belize, Central America. We had checkpoints along the way where these guys are carrying machine guns. But this didn't used to be something um, that happened in America. What's going on here? And and, uh, this whole notion, I guess, that what John is saying is that we're getting more and more of these incidents where people are being just trigger-happy, these guys with guns, and they don't seem to care that much that they're killing people. Yeah, it's interesting. It sounds like you and I had a very similar experience, Jay. I was living in uh, in Europe during the 90s, and I, t- I took a trip to Albania during a, a coup that occurred there in 1996. At the time, the uh, the communists were trying to make a comeback, and they overthrew the democratically elected government. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking through the streets of Tirana and seeing these guys with AK-47s and military fatigues in the street, and I had a surge of patriotism at the time, thinking, thank God, back in the good old USA, we don't have this kind of banana mm-hmm. republic where, where you've got soldiers and military types in the street, you know. And I, I felt a little bit smug at the time, to be honest, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I felt the same thing when I saw it after 9-11, and I saw for so many years on the Hill as well, uh, these guys, and I thought, it's, it's kind of shameful and it's awfully depressing to see. It's uh, it's the direction of things for sure. And John Whitehead wrote another article: uh, "Are police in America now a military occupying force?" What what do you think? Yeah, and look look at this program through Homeland Security: how they transfer basically military grade weapons to your local police force. 
Mm. Uh, you know, we had a couple of articles on the site. Uh, my colleague at Juan Paul Institute, Adam Dick, wrote a couple of pieces about a, uh, a small town up in New Hampshire that probably had zero crime, probably a couple of parking violations. And, and here the, um, the police chief, I guess it was, or the mayor, was offered one of these huge armored personnel carriers that are fitted with machine guns and all sorts of things. Jeez. And because, yeah, because it was quote-unquote free, um, he, was, he, he rushed to get it. He loved it. He wanted to get it. And, and so I think it really is, I hate to say conspiracy, but I think the federal government has some sort of a conspiracy to militarize these local police forces. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it is very disturbing. These are not the kinds of police that you and I grew up with, you know, your, your friendly local neighborhood cop. Right. These, are, these guys are armed to the teeth. Right, right. No, you, I mean, that, that's exactly right. The idea that the, that the cop on the beat was your friend, that he was there to keep the peace in the neighborhood, and if there were some bad eggs around, you know, to, to throw them out, get them out of, you know, take them away from... I mean, there's a place for that in any society, I suppose, sure, a limited amount of it. But uh, the notion that they're going to turn on their own citizens, which is really what, you know, in, in many ways what Kennedy was warning about, I think. And one other, uh, with a minute or so left to go here, another article that I just saw, uh, I believe it was posted on your site, but it was uh, uh, the dailymail.co from the U.K., a U.S. military doctors broke oath to design new torture techniques to be used in Guantanamo Bay. Here, doctors uh, take an oath to do no harm, and now they are being conscripted by the American military to find ways to torture people to get the answers the government wants out of these people. Um, you know, and I and I saw on PBS last night. This was debated, and this one guy who was had to be a neocon. I don't remember his name, but he was. You know, he was insisting. He said, "Yes, but." You know, we are at war, and we are at war, so we've, we've got to, you know, we just can't obey all of these niceties of, of a civilized society now because we're at war. All is, you know, the old saying, all is fair in love and war. Yeah. And, uh, well, are we at war, Daniel? Well, I'm sure that's probably what uh, Dr. Joseph Mengele said in World War II when he did the same sorts of gruesome experiments. You know, yeah. we're at war. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got to, got to do these things. And so... I read that too, Jay, and I was tempted to, to write about it because it is so depressing uh, to see this kind of practice uh, in, uh, you know, in the U.S. And this is something that we rightly condemn uh, as some of the most grotesque uh, aspects of Nazi Germany where they would, uh, they would use uh, people who they consider to be subhuman uh, to experiment on them. And the idea that some people in the U.S. Are, are doing this and endorse it is just a, a shameful, shameful chapter. And history will not be kind to it. Well, it, it certainly is um, uh, is shameful, no doubt about it. We are out of time, Daniel. Thanks again for being with us. And again, uh, that is the Ron, Ron Paul Institute uh, for Peace and Prosperity. Google it. Look it up. Go there. Uh, you can view Daniel's interview along with Karen Hudis and lots of other very, very Im insightful, important things. Go there, read about this stuff, and tell your friends and get them to go to that website as well. It's all very important stuff. If you care about your country, if you care about liberty, then you've got to be excited about what Daniel and Ron Paul and the other people at that website are doing. Thank you very much, Daniel, for being with us once Thank again. You, Thank you. Take care. Take care. All right, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with uh, some closing thoughts about today's show and also a word or two about next week's guest. I'll be right back. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, with some uh, thoughts about today's show and a word or two about next week's show. I should mention that uh, after I spoke to Andy Hoffman, I had a question for him, and I uh, sent him an email, and he came back with an answer. Um, And the question that I had for Andy that I forgot to ask him uh, is this. When the COMEX or the LMBA default, who do you think we will be going to for gold price discovery? If you have an answer, uh, you know, I'd like to mention it to uh, the listeners of my show. In other words, if the COMEX defaults, which it looks like it's going to, the LMBA defaults, which Andrew McGuire has pointed out is, is inevitable. Uh, someone else on our show, uh, I think it was Andy, was, was saying, well, Andy was saying earlier today that, in fact, 80% of the gold that was uh, at the COMEX in April is gone. Uh, the amount of gold that's there to make good if people on the long side of their contracts want to take delivery is just simply not adequate to be there. So the question is, um, you know, when the COMEX and the LMBA default and those those uh, exchanges go out of business with respect to the gold markets anyway, who do we go to? Where are we going to find out what the price of gold is every day? And Andy came back and said, uh, Jay, that's a very difficult question as it requires a considerable, powerful crystal ball. However, using uh, Occam's razor, it makes sense that price discovery will occur in real, physical, focused exchanges in the Eastern Hemisphere where the vast majority of buying occurs. This is the Chinese government's goal. And when eventually the yuan dominates the dollar, it's hard to see an alternative scenario. However, the exact how and when remains in question. Well, that's not exactly a a clear answer, but it's the best that Andy or probably anybody could do right now. We simply don't know. One thing we do know is that gold is gold. As Ian McAvity has pointed out, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. Uh, A barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. What is the dollar? Well, the dollar is a sleight-of-hand currency that we are being conned into believing in, and that is really what all of this con artistry is doing on this manipulation, as Andy was pointing out, the need to keep people distracted from gold uh, is necessitated by the need to keep them conned into buying the paper, uh, that is, to accepting the money that the government and the Federal Reserve creates out of nothing. 
uh, and it is uh, it is the, a con job of all con jobs. It is theft by our government, by the powerful forces that run and own our government. As Jimmy Carter said, we are, do not currently have a working democracy in America. Amen to that. There's no question about that in my mind. So uh, what are we going to do? Well, we, Jacob Hornberger is doing what he can with his website, Daniel McAdams, Ron Paul. Lots of us uh, folks are out there trying to get people to understand the truth. President Kennedy and his speech, that remarkable speech that I played uh, at the beginning of the second hour of today's show, in which he warned about secret societies being repugnant to a free society and how we need to have, in fact, uh, the truth being told. The mainstream media is not telling it. Why are they not telling it? Well, 90% of the media is owned, and I've got some statistics that I'll probably be passing along to my readers in my newsletter and probably on this show as well. 90% of the mainstream media, of the main, well, that is the mainstream media, 90% of the media is owned by six companies. And those companies all have a vested interest in keeping you conned into the dollar, keeping you disinterested in gold. The problem is, ultimately, their lies, like Pinocchio's nose, will become so obvious that they won't be able to hide the lies anymore. That's what we're facing. And I don't know the time, the timing of this, but it's going to happen. And I can tell you this, you don't want to wait for the signs that it's on, that it's on us to buy gold. Because when that happens, uh, it'll be like Niagara Falls going through a garden hose. It, it will be impossible to get gold at anything like the current prices. Well, my engineer is telling me we only have, uh, we only have a minute left. Next week, Todd Wood will be back. Um, he's written uh, a, a couple of great novels and he's a uh, former uh, U.S. Air Force Academy graduate, a special operations guy. Uh, a lot of uh, very interesting uh, insights into what's going on in the world. Also, we're going to have Dr. Murray Susser back by popular demand. Dr. Susser uh, is a real free-thinking physician who uses mainstream medicine but as well as uh, uh, more exotic uh, technologies as well, things that were used in the, uh, in the East and things that actually work but don't necessarily make big profits for the, for the pharmaceuticals and the guys, again, who are in control of our government to a certain extent. So Dr. Murray Susser will have more to talk about. Um, we look forward to hearing his advice on health. We are really out of time now. I want to thank... Uh, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, and until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.